Vascular disease is very common here in the United States. Coming up next, what it is, the warning signs, and what to expect when you seek treatment. Here to answer those questions and more is Dr. Erica Mitchell, Medical Director of the Vascular Institute at Regional One Health. She's a nationally known expert in vascular and endovascular surgery. This is One on One with Regional One Health, your inside look at how we're building healthier tomorrows for our patients and our community. Our expert insight empowers you to achieve a lifetime of better health. I'm Cheryl Martin, and providing expert insight today is Dr. Mitchell. Delighted that you're here to talk about what patients should know about vascular disorders and treatment options. Thank you very much for the invitation. So, Dr. Mitchell, what are some of the more common types of vascular disorders? So, common problems diagnosed and managed by vascular surgeons include cerebrovascular disease, aneurysms, blockages in the blood vessels that supply the brain, the intestines, and the lower extremities, traumatic injuries to blood vessels, dialysis access, leg ulcerations, varicose veins, and genetic conditions or malformations. So what types of symptoms do patients usually experience? I'm going to focus on what we call peripheral vascular disease, also known as peripheral arterial disease, or you may have heard the acronym PAD. It's a common vascular condition in which narrowed arteries reduce blood flow to the limbs, particularly the legs. Typically, patients have disease of the arteries going to the legs, and as they get more disease, plaque builds up and fatty deposits cause narrowing or blockages of the artery, and that causes a reduction in the blood flow to the legs. When you walk, you need blood supply to the muscles, and so when you have narrowing to these arteries, you have a mismatch in the supply and demand of blood supply to your legs. So you may experience symptoms. Typically, we call it claudication, and claudication means that you have muscle pain or cramping in the legs with exercise, and when you stop, that pain goes away. So you can have claudication symptoms in the calf muscles, the thigh muscles, and the buttocks, but most patients with peripheral arterial disease don't actually have symptoms. So symptoms range from no symptoms to claudication to more extreme symptoms, and that would be changes in the skin or toenails, where you have coldness in your feet or your legs, you have maybe you have numbness or weakness, you might not feel any pulses or a weak pulse in your legs, and you may have painful cramping in one or both legs when walking or climbing stairs. And then of course, you can go to the extreme where you actually have wounds that don't heal, where you start developing tissue loss. So it's something we call gangrene. And that can be quite extreme in patients with severe multi-level peripheral arterial disease. You've mentioned the symptoms. So is there a profile of someone who's at a higher risk of vascular disease even before they see symptoms? Absolutely. Typically, we think of several classic risk factors for peripheral vascular disease, and that is tobacco use, hypercholesterolemia or high cholesterol levels, high triglycerides, so that's the fatty acids, morbid obesity, diabetes, and renal disease. And of course, contributors are the Western diet, since we have our diets very high in fat and cholesterol. So I would assume that what a person can do to manage or reduce their risk would be 
to change their diet as well as the other things that you mentioned that's in their control to change? Absolutely. So the number one recommendation is smoking cessation. So if you are a smoker, it's essential that you stop smoking and even chewing tobacco. And if you can, avoid secondhand smoke. But eating a healthy diet, so one with fruits and vegetables, whole grains, fish, low dairy products, control your blood glucoses and avoid saturated and trans fat and limit your salt. It's essential to maintain a healthy weight and, of course, to manage your blood pressure and cholesterol. And, of course, you're not going to get away without anyone telling you exercise is is good for your health. So walk us through what happens when a patient comes to you to see you at the Vascular Institute. What can they expect in terms of getting to a diagnosis and treatment plan? So to start with and to make the diagnosis of peripheral arterial disease, we start with a medical history and physical exam. We ask about your symptoms and your medical history, and we also check your pulse exam. If you have peripheral arterial disease, the pulse in the area affected may be missing or weak. So we check your wrist pulses, your arm pulses, your feet pulses, pulses behind your knee and your groin, and we also feel your abdominal pulse to feel for an aneurysm. So beyond the physical exam and the medical history where we ask for the risk factors, and maybe even signs and symptoms of peripheral arterial disease, there are some blood tests that we can obtain, and those typically assess for high cholesterol and high triglycerides, as well as an evaluation for diabetes. Then the most common study that we do is something called the ankle brachial index, and that's where we measure the arm blood pressure as well as the ankle pressure, and we create a ratio around that. So Anyone with a normal ankle brachial index that is 0.9 and above, we essentially say they don't have peripheral arterial disease. Anything lower than that would be, by definition, an indicator of peripheral arterial disease. And the lower the index, the higher the degree of disease that you have. And some of the other studies we could do is check your blood pressure, of course, but also obtain an ultrasound of your legs and the blood vessels going to your legs and to your feet. And then, of course, we can get a CAT scan, and then an invasive study would be an angiogram, and that's actually inserting a needle and catheters in the artery and injecting dye inside the arteries. And it's sort of the gold standard of of defining degree of disease. And typically, we only perform that when we think someone has significant disease below the knee. Now, as vascular surgeons, you and your team do a variety of operations to help patients. So tell us about these and how you help patients address their conditions and also monitor their health to prevent more problems. So before we start with any interventions, we recommend medical management. And of course, that would be managing all the risk factors for peripheral arterial disease. So cholesterol medications, blood pressure drugs, medications to control blood glucose, and medications to prevent blood clots, so typically aspirin. Sometimes we may add a stronger medication called Plavix, and then there are some medications that can thin the blood a little bit that allow you to walk longer distance. So typically, we start with medical management. When patients have significant and severe disease that's limiting their ability to walk for their normal daily activities, or they have tissue loss or pain at rest, then we will go to more invasive procedures and treatments that we can offer are either angioplasty and stenting, so that's going inside of the arteries and opening up the 
snaring in the artery with a tiny balloon and possibly putting a stent in or a bypass surgery. And the bypass surgery is for when patients have multiple levels of blockages and we're not able to go through the arteries to open them up with the balloon. And we would use a vein from their leg or an artificial graft to do a bypass around that blockage. Any other procedures that you perform at the Vascular Institute? Oh, yes, many. We treat patients with aneurysms, so that would be abdominal aortic aneurysms. So we definitely put in stent grafts for that. We do procedures for stroke prevention or when patients present with a stroke, and that would be cleaning out the arteries in the neck. We do fistula creations for patients needing dialysis. We perform aneurysm repairs for both the abdomen, aortic aneurysm, as well as in the chest. And then bypass surgeries for legs, arms, and and of course, we open up arteries sometimes with something called an endarterectomy. And then for venous disease, we can do laser ablation where we eliminate the vein if you're having reflux in it. And then we also treat other conditions like blockages to the intestines with bypasses or stents or other conditions like Maid-Thurner or median arcuate ligament syndrome. So we have an array. I mean, we have multiple, multiple operations that we can provide. So essentially, we treat diseases of the artery everywhere in the body outside of the brain and the heart. So vessels in the neck, chest, the abdomen, and the upper and lower extremity, both arteries and veins, as well as the lymphatic system. Now, on the personal side, tell us a little bit about yourself outside of work. What motivates you? And what are some of your hobbies and interests? Well, I was born and raised outside of America, and albeit I was born to American parents, and I have lived all over the world, all the continents, but Antarctica. I developed an interest in medicine as a child growing up on a farm in Zimbabwe. Our farm was kind of the triage point for the ill and injured And I was witness to this, and this is what inspired my desire to become a physician. And so I went to medical school, general surgery residency, vascular interventional radiology in Colorado, and then I went on to a vascular surgical fellowship in Portland. And I stayed on there for many years in academia. So I would say I'm sort of a true academic vascular surgeon. I like the aspects of teaching, the scientific rigor, clinical studies, And then, of course, the complexity that you get in academic institutions with the whole variety and scope of practices and conditions that often cannot be treated in small hospitals. So outside of being an academic surgeon, which I love, that's sort of who I am. We're surgeons first, and then we are wives and husbands or friends, whatever. And so I'm married. My husband's an avid fly fisherman, amazing fisherman. However, I don't fish with him, but I certainly travel with him. We love to travel. And outside of that, we've got some dogs we enjoy. We enjoy cooking together, reading, watching movies, and just hanging out with friends and socializing. That is great, and it's obvious that you love what you do and that you are committed to it. Anything else you'd like to add about vascular disease that we didn't cover? Yes, I do think it's important to understand that a vascular surgeon, we're a little different than some of the interventionalists who provide care in that we really treat the patient from beginning in terms of the clinical evaluation, the medical management, the evaluation of the non-invasive and invasive testing, 
the ability to open operations as well as endovascular, so that's procedures inside of the artery, and then to manage patients in the hospital, whether it's being on the ward, in the operating room, in the ICU, and then in the clinic areas. And we tend to follow our patients for life. So when you think of us, we are different than most surgeons in the sense that we don't take things out of patients, we put things in patients. So we really follow what we do for lifelong. So it's like having a car and getting a car tune-up. Our patients follow us for life because the grafts or the bypasses or stents that we put in them aren't designed to last a lifetime. They do have little things that need to be tweaked and adjusted, and that's why we follow our patients for life. That's great. Dr. Erica Mitchell, thanks so much for educating us on vascular disease and the treatment I so appreciate your commitment to your patients and to this science. For more information or to make an appointment with the Vascular Institute, call 901-545-7222. That's 901-545-7222. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and check out the full podcast library for other topics of interest to you. And thanks for making one-on-one with Regional One Health part of your journey to better health. Join us next time for the Regional One Health podcast as we cover another important topic to keep you on the path for a healthier tomorrow.